our founder, Eric Siegfried, was in Missoula. It was a new place. We are surrounded by public land, and he had never hunted here. And he's like, yeah, I know there's all this land, but it's not the easiest thing to kind of figure out where I'm at on the map. You know, you can get off a road, and you're looking at a creek, and you can't quite see exactly where you're at. And, you know, he was doing a bunch of a bunch of scouting on Google Earth, and even then, he still didn't have boundaries. He didn't have land ownership. And so he just he had an epiphany and realized that, all this data is out there. It's public knowledge. He just had to compile it. Once he was able to do it, he realized this would be a pretty beneficial tool for hunters. Just being able, you know, regardless of where you're hunting, just knowing whose land you're on, um, it just gives you way more confidence in the field. Big Buck Registries Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 264. Zach Sandow and Onyx Hunt. Hunt Tech, part four. Support for the Big Buck Registry and the Deer Hunt Podcast comes from Rackology. Everything you need in one bag. Now available at Rural King and Orsland Farm and Home storefronts. Or online at www.rackology.org. Hunters blend coffee. Defending hunting one cup at a time. Finally, there's a coffee that helps rather than hurts your freedom to hunt. Use the code BBR to receive 10% off your next Hunters Blend order. Polar Works Coolers and the Chill Zone, specializing in the most durable, reliable thermal cups and coolers. Keep your drinks hot or cold in any element. Covert Scouting Cameras, remote cameras for hunting, wildlife, and security. Morse's Sporting Goods, a full line of sporting goods without the sales tax. And Big Buck Merch. You can get cool, high-quality Big Buck t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and hoodies. And show support for this podcast by visiting www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash M-E-R-C-H. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hey, this is Melissa Bachman of Winchester Deadly Passion on the Sportsman Channel. You're listening to my favorite deer hunting podcast, Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hi, I'm Tim Burnett with Solo Hunter, and you're listening to my favorite podcast, the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Hi, this is Jared Scheffler from Whitetail Adrenaline. You're listening to my favorite hunting podcast ever, Jay and Dusty on the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, fellow predators. My name is Jay, and thank you for tuning in to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. For Dusty Phillips and Jim Keller and the entire staff here at the Big Buck Registry, welcome to this week's show. There are a couple things I'd like you to do for us if you could. If you would, please check us out on iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a review. With your help, we're going to try and push this show up the iTunes charts. I know we have a lot of listeners out there, and I need you to take some action. I need you to leave a review and subscribe to the show. If you do subscribe, that'll give you access and notification each and every week that a new show is released. You can also access this show in its entirety on YouTube, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and as an Amazon Alexa skill. Go to Alexa and say, Alexa, enable Big Buck Registry. It's all right there for you to access on demand at your fingertips. 
Regarding the harness program, we have an ample supply of harnesses to give away from our volunteer donors. If you're in need of a full body harness, please send an email to j at bigbuckregistry.com. Remember when maps were on paper? We used to spend money on paper topo maps and put a thumbtack on that map to represent a deer sighting, effectively creating a heat map with multiple thumbtacks. Then along came Google and Google Maps. It was a revolutionary step forward in the scouting technology, but there were some very important pieces missing from the Google Map. For one, we couldn't instantly in the field, in real time, tell where the boundary lines of the property existed. Sure, we could spend hours looking at town survey maps, but nothing was instant. And who the heck owned the property? That was another game of tracking down slow information points. These were all the challenges that Eric Siegfried, founder of Onyx Maps, had at one time. All of the information was available, but not instantly, on any single device in an organized manner when you needed it. So Eric set out to fix all that with his new company. A decade later, with a subscription and a smartphone or GPS, you can instantly have access to all this information. It's a game changer for the hunter. You'll learn more about the areas you hunt than you ever thought to ask, and it makes the hunting possibilities endless. We dive deep into all the bells and whistles and capabilities that Onyx has to offer with Zach Sandow, Project Coordinator for Onyx Hunt. This is part four of our series on hunting technology, and stay tuned for our next episode where we explore arrow and broadhead technology with David Han, CEO of Ballistic Arrow Tech and Slash Arrows. We'll get to our entire interview with Zach Sandow from Onyx Hunt in just one moment. But before we do, let's hear from our friends at Rackology, Polarworks Coolers, and Jim Keller with the Deer News. I still can't believe that's all you're taking. I got everything I need all in one bag. Rackology Deer Supplement and Attractant developed through years of intense scientific research comes a product that puts it all in one bag. Superior Attractant, scientifically formulated vitamins and minerals, and all at a much better price. To get yours today, please check out rackology.org for a list of dealers. Rackology, how can you afford not to use it? Everything deer need, all in one bag. I always wanted one of those high-end coolers because of the quality that I had heard of, but I couldn't justify the price. Then I found Polar Works. Finally, I found a company that understands quality and affordability. The Polar Works lineup is extensive and is filled with polar cups, polar tubs, and polar soft coolers. So check out PolarWorks.com when you're considering your next high-quality cooler without breaking the bank. That's www.polarworkz.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. And our first story this week, EHD detected in Minnesota deer for the first time. This story is from the OutdoorNews.com website. The Minnesota Board of Animal Health has confirmed the first cases of epizootic hemorrhagic disease in Minnesota deer. Six of seven animals in a small herd of captive white-tailed deer in Goodhue County died of the disease earlier this month. The remaining buck appears healthy at this time and is showing no clinical signs associated with the disease. This is the first detection of this disease in Minnesota deer, yet it is widespread across North America. The quick and suspicious deaths of the animals earlier this month alarmed the owner who worked with their veterinarian to submit tissues from the carcasses to the Iowa State Veterinary Diagnostic Laboratory to determine the cause of the death. EHD was confirmed by the USDA's Natural Veterinary Services Laboratory. EHD affects members of the deer family and there are no known health risks to people. Many different deer species have been infected with EHD and white-tailed deer are highly susceptible and experience high rates of mortality. Most die within 36 hours of clinical signs, which can include fever, anorexia, lethargy, 
stiffness, respiratory distress, oral ulcers, and severe swelling of the head and neck. Sporadic cases in, occur in other species of cervids and hoofstock. There is no specific treatment or vaccine available in the U.S. Deer smashes through windshield of moving car, lands in passenger seat. This story is from the Fox News website. A deer came flying through the air and landed inside a car. When the driver looked over, she saw a bloody eight-point buck sitting in her passenger seat. Heather Hayes was heading to work on Highway 53 in Floyd County, Georgia, Tuesday morning when she saw a big brown blur in midair, then it crashed through her windshield. Trying not to panic, she said she eased off the gas and pulled over to the side of the road, but the deer was in a panic. He was trying to escape. She jumped out of the car and flagged down someone for help. Floyd County police officers showed up and were just as shocked as she was. Animal control had to tranquilize the deer in order to get it out of the car. Once they realized the animal had a broken back and two broken legs, they had to put it down. Hayes says she felt bad for the animal, but is filled with gratitude that she wasn't injured. Deer hunting closed in northern Arkansas areas due to high water. This story is from the KY3 News website. The Arkansas Game and Fish Commission has closed deer season on some wildlife management areas and private lands in eastern Arkansas because of high water. The commission says high water on the White and Cache rivers led to the closing of the seasons because the low-lying areas can quickly become inundated, forcing deer into smaller areas with less cover. The commission says the deer could then become vulnerable to overharvest and fatally wounded deer could run into some swift-moving streams before hunters could recover the animal. Only deer hunting is closed. Seasons and limits for other game animals remain unchanged. A description of all flood-prone regions and criteria for closures are available on the Arkansas Hunting Guidebook and at www.agfc.com forward slash en forward slash hunting forward slash big dash game forward slash deer forward slash fpz. Dexter, Michigan school bus driver runs over injured deer with kids watching. This story is from the MLive.com website and was reported by Dana Afana. An injured deer struck by a vehicle Friday morning was later killed by a school bus driver trying to end the animal's suffering, Dexter Community School officials said. The initial hit was from a private vehicle on Dan Hoey Road near a student drop-off and pickup zone, according to a letter emailed by Dexter Community Schools. The seriously wounded deer then entered the area where students were being dropped off, according to the letter. In an attempt to quickly put the suffering animal out of its pain, a member of our transportation team instinctively drove over the deer to end its suffering, the letter states. Officials called police before members of the district's buildings and grounds team disposed of the animal, said Barb Santo, the school district's executive director of human resources. Police could not be immediately reached for comment. Regrettably, some students witnessed one or more of these unfortunate events this morning, the letter states. No injuries or damage to the bus were reported. Santo declined to comment on whether the driver is facing disciplinary actions. The decision to drive over the animal in the presence of children is absolutely not a course of action we condone. We greatly regret that it happened. We understand that this situation is likely to be quite upsetting for students, parents, and staff who witnessed or heard about it. Brief editorial. Related to that last story. So would it have been better for the children to witness the deer continue to suffer? So are we to believe that the Dexter Community Schools would rather have their students grow up with an unreal perception of how things really work in the world and in nature and grow up without developing coping skills? If we don't let our kids develop these skills early in life, they will grow up unprepared to deal with the realities of life. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. Special thanks to Daniel Applebaum for leads on some of the stories this week. For links to the stories featured this week, please check our show notes at www.bigbuckregistry.com. If you have any ideas for future topics or have any questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. 
for the Big Buck Registry. This is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Jim Keller for the Deer News. Without further ado, here is Zach Sandow from Onyx Hunt. Zach Sandow, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you as we explore this world of technology that has somehow infiltrated into our daily lives as hunters. And it's amazing how some of the advancements uh, in hunting have come. And it seems to be, you know, it used to be like mechanical advancements, but these days it's like tech advancements, whether it's apps. I seem to a lot of apps that are coming out. Um, and I've, I've heard an awful lot about Onyx. I am a user of Onyx. And I thought, what a great opportunity if I could get somebody from Onyx to come on the show, do a deep dive into what the company is all about, how it got started, its evolution, get into some of the nitty gritty about what it can do for the person that's not using it, and get into maybe even some of the things that we may not know as users that it can do, and maybe see what the future holds for Onyx as well. So I appreciate you giving us this opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to chatting some more. Cool. So tell me about yourself. How are you involved with Onyx? So I I actually started here as an intern about three years ago. I'm coming up on my three-year anniversary, and I now am managing the marketing team, all the projects, all the communications we do. I manage the marketing brand team and work on those kind of day-to-day and just helping facilitate anywhere I can and just help out with a team on any of our communications or campaigns going out. And then I also get the opportunity to work with our partners kind of our day to day there. So I get, I'm very lucky. I get to work with a lot of great people, a lot of talented people on a daily basis. And, uh, get, you know, it's always great whenever you can talk hunting every single day. So it is cool. it's, uh, it's been great. Um, you know, I started up in marketing, doing some social media and stuff like that. And then now I kind of get to oversee all the communications that go through and help out where I can. And so it's just, you know, trying to keep the customer's voice in mind whenever we're marketing and trying to help with any questions they have, but then also trying to make sure that, you know, we're putting out the right stuff that's answering the questions they may have, or it's catching their eyes. Gotcha. Where's headquarters for you? So our, our home headquarters is in Missoula, Montana. And then we actually recently got another office in Bozeman, Montana, which is about three hours down the road. Okay. It's, I mean, it seems appropriate to have your, your base in Montana. I mean, it's just, when you think about big maps and big mapping, I, and where I don't want to get lost (laughs) the most is in that area. So I I can kind of, kind of appropriate, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And our founder, he actually is from Mile City, Montana, which is in Eastern Montana. But when he created our first product, which was an actual chip for a Garmin GPS, and all it had was private landowner names, public land ownership, and then the hunting districts. Mm. When he started that, he was actually living in Missoula. So that's why our home base is in Missoula, Montana. Gotcha. And then he actually went to school, college in Bozeman. And Bozeman has a great pipeline for engineers. So that also influenced the reason why we have another office in Bozeman. Okay. All right. When was the first time you, you were introduced to Onyx? I actually got introduced, so the company started in 2009, and I, I started using it a year after. Um, I grew up in Montana, and so when there was a new product out, um, they had it at Wholesale Sports, which is now Sportsman's Warehouse. But it uh, it honestly was like, it spread like wildfire, um, especially for the West, being able to pull it up and actually see whose land you're on in the field and actually see your 
you know, current location on a map, it was, it was worth its weight in gold. And then when I heard the fact that it was a gentleman from Montana, you know, it was always great. Want to support local. And that was one of the things that it just took off in Missoula, especially. And so I started using it on the GPS on a Garmin GPS back in 2010. Right, right, right. Gotcha. So the, how does the how does this evolution begin? Well, where where does that thought come from? Uh, I'm sitting around a campfire some, one night. I said, "Man, I got really lost today. I wish I had something to tell me where I could have gone, or where you know, or am I stuck uh, in some place? Man, I can't tell the difference between public land and private land. Wish I hadn't yeah. asked that. Where does that all begin? Yeah. So it actually began. You know, it's crazy. There's a lot of people. We get a lot of emails there's plenty of people who have thought about this and they thought about this years ago. And mm -hmm. really what it was is our founder, Eric Siegfried was in Missoula. It was a new place. We're surrounded by public land and he had never hunted here. And he's like, yeah, hey, I know there's all this land, but it's not the easiest thing to kind of figure out where I'm at on the map. You know, you can get off a road and you're looking at a Creek and you can't quite see exactly where you're at. And, you know, he was doing a bunch of, a bunch of scouting on Google earth and, even then he still didn't have boundaries. He didn't have land ownership. And so he just, he had an epiphany and realized that all this data is out there. It's public knowledge. He just had to compile it in so he could bring it to the field with himself. And so he started doing his research and started building the maps and putting them on the chip. And then once he was able to do it, he realized this would be a pretty beneficial tool for hunters. Just being able, you know, regardless of where you're hunting, just knowing whose land you're on, um, it just gives you way more confidence in the field. And right. then you're not worrying so much about looking at the maps, flipping back and forth. You're actually spending time hunting. Right. And so he started the chip and it just took off. It was one of those things that he had the benefit of coming up with a great product and then word of mouth, one hunter used it. They loved it and they started telling people. So really hunters were the ones that helped us out and they did all the marketing for us in the early stages. Gotcha. How do you get that information? I mean, it, it, is it a, it's a database of some sort, but how do you, how do you connect it to, to a map? Yeah. So we actually have 20 GIS employees currently working at Onyx um, who are go getting data from various sources. Some is proprietary information that we're building ourselves, like our topo and some of our other layers we have. But then there's also sources we get. From the county level, we get some from like the, you know, like your forest service maps, you get it from the state agencies, but then also there's data like our, you know, NWTF wild turkey records layer where we're getting it from them. So our GIS employees are actually compiling data from all these different sources and where they really differentiate, where our company differentiates ourselves is you get all this data in and it, you know, there's a ton of it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it all is going to fit together like a puzzle. Sometimes boundaries, public, private, for example, if you have different sources, those boundaries will overlap and they won't actually line up. And so that's where they go in to validate and contact these sources to figure out, you know, where the actual boundary should be so it can be as accurate as possible. Gotcha. Okay. So let's, let's dive into some of the features of what Onyx can do where where can somebody hold on to it so they can actually use it as a function um and and let's uh, talk about it relative to maybe that person that needs some kind of mapping structure that is maybe still be holding on to paper of some sort yeah yeah absolutely where, where so would you begin now i mean our biggest thing that we have is we still had that chip product that I was talking about, but our main focus where everyone who's carrying is on a smartphone. You know, most people have a smartphone in their pocket. So 
our hunt app it's called the hunt app it can be accessed on your smartphone a tablet or your computer and what's great is any information that you have you can log in on all three of those devices and view it and it looks the same it's pretty much the same exact thing except for the computer obviously you're not going to take that to the field because it doesn't have a gps unit in it but what's nice is i could log in on your phone and it would pull up all my information so as soon as you create an account on our app and start make marking waypoints or you buy a specific state for data it will keep track of all that information and when you log into any smartphone tablet or computer it'll pull it up for you and you can access it and so really we started our bread and butter was public private land ownership that's where okay we you know with the chip that's what we found was kind of our bread and butter and with our GIS team we were able to make accurate public private land ownership for the entire nation and so with the app you can kind of get there's we have two little scales you can buy one membership which is just to this one individual state or you can get all 50 states and what that is is that's the private landowner names public um land ownership and then hunting districts and then on top of that we have a bunch of layers that are nationwide these are things like your roadless layer historic burns current wildfires qdma cwd layer nwtf the list goes on so we have a bunch of very specific layers that you don't even have to purchase a membership to have. You just install the app and you can use it. And so when you install it, you get free seven days where you get everything. You get to try all the different layers and see how you like it. But if you don't need public private land ownership, let's say, you know, you know, you're hunting your back 40 that you have forever. You still get a free GPS with the with the app that you don't have to pay for. So all our smartphones have an actual GPS unit in the smartphone that you can save the maps so you can view your location without service. It doesn't require, and that's one, that's the biggest misconception about, you know, hunting apps is that you need service for them to work. But actually all smartphones have GPS functionality. And all we're doing is we're just essentially taking a picture of your map, saving it to your phone. And then you are watching your current location through your phone's GPS functionality. Okay. All right. So let's just talk a little bit about the, the different memberships. So you've got, if I'm, a, if, if I have a smartphone, if I have, a, and I assume that this, when you say smartphone, this is Android or iOS, right? Yep. I, I, that is correct. Okay. This software is available on either one, but even with that, I can always go to a computer and it will have the same data points that I used on, on my smartphone. If I go back yep. in, if I mark a waypoint, if I, if I look at a certain map or I download a certain map, I can go back to my computer later on and open it up on a bigger screen. Yep, that's correct. Okay. So you can do your scouting at home, and then when you get to the field, you know, you'll have all that data with you. Okay. So so it's bi-directional. So it sounds like you can put it in through your smartphone and look at it on your computer, or you can put it in on your computer and look at it on your smartphone. Yep, that's correct. Okay, that's cool. So the, the, the different... Uh, premiums or memberships that you have you got you start off with a seven day free membership and that gives you access to everything you said everything yep so you'll get you'll get to choose you know you choose your state you want to view but then you will get essentially what you're paying for with our two pricing tiers is you know land ownership changes yearly and so we have to update that and that costs money to do so to reach out to the counties purchase this data you know have the employees work on making this data correct so when it's a yearly annual membership 
And so when you're paying for it, what you're paying for is the actual land ownership with the private and the public, and then the roads and trails, making sure those are updated. And so that's where the money goes to. And so the two membership tiers, you can buy one state Mm -hmm. or you can buy all 50. And so one state is $29.99, all 50 is $99.99. And so that'll get you access to all the landowners throughout all 50 states, all the public land, all the hunting districts, and then even the unique ones, you know, like... Missouri Recreational Access Program or Montana Block Management or, you know, plots in North Dakota, all those state specific where it's private land ownership, but public access for hunting, it'll get you all that data as well. Okay. And when you say it's $29.99 for a single uh, state, you're saying that's per year. The $99.99 is per year. And in just reading your website, it says that you can bill that monthly. So you don't have to pay the full hundred bucks. You can for the elite one. If you wanted to just try it out for a month or two, we do have a version where you get all 50 and that's fourteen ninety nine a month. Okay. All right. Very cool. Now the premium tri- chip, which is a chip that still plugs into like a Garmin. Is that correct? That is. Yep. How does that work relative to the, the rest of the integration does does that give you access to if i have a smartphone i can use my smartphone or the the chip on my garmin unit if it's accepting that and that does that all compile into the same database that you've created? well so, so really with the chip that was our legacy product and so what that does that just gets you the land ownership public private and then the hunting districts and what we did is so you know the chips have to be updated as well and so you have to manually update that yourself if you want to have the most current, you know, land ownership data. And so what we did is our membership actually updates your chip for you. So if you have a chip, if you buy a chip brand new, you get a membership with it as well. So that means you can access on your smartphone, your computer and tablet, and you can also update your chip. But really those two products are kind of separate because the chip only works on a Garmin GPS. It doesn't work on the other three devices. And the app only works on the other three. It doesn't work on the Garmin. But what you can do is there's a lot of folks who have used Garmin's forever, but they're ready to move over to the app. You can actually take all your waypoints from your Garmin and you can import them in to the web map, which is the hunt app on computer. And then you will have those waypoints on your hunt app from now on. Okay. Gotcha. Let's talk a little bit about the private land and the public land stuff. This, it sounds like that was your, your bread and butter. You know, that's, yeah. that was the purpose of this to begin with. And it's grown into some other things. Maybe we can get into that in a little bit, but you wanted to be able to tell where the line was between a private land and a public land and the maps that you were using, uh, which I assume probably had some basis in Google maps, maybe some other ones, but that you could obviously tell boundary lines from one state to the next, probably even County to County. But to get this information of where you're going from private to public, meaning not only it's it's public land for a certain reason and it's private land for a certain reason, can you describe the difference between the two just so we absolutely have clarity on what the two mean? Yeah, and when you're asking the difference, you mean like the difference on the map, like how it looks? Yeah, the, 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 the actual, like, how, not only what it looks like, but how, what does that mean when it's private land versus public land? I mean, yeah. I, I have an assumption, but I want to make sure that we spell it out clearly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So really on our, I'll take a step back. So with the public land, this is our state or government owned 
pieces of land. So this is owned by the people who live in the state and the country. These are owned by you and I. And so these are open for public access. So any person can access these. Now there are some, you know, there are some cases where certain things are owned for certain uses, whether it's leasing for grazing or stuff like that. But for the most part, these are national forests. These are state land, BLM, um, pieces of land that anyone can access. You're more than welcome to go hunt, fish, recreate on. And so we have those color coded very similar to how you would on a paper map. So like national forest is green, BLM is yellow, state land is blue. And so you can easily view those. And those are something that any person can go and you can just access and start hunting. And then, so on the private land, these are privately owned by individuals. You know, this is if you own a piece of land, this is your land. And so what we have, we have their actual landowner names on it. And why people like having this is for one, if it's your land, if you have multiple pieces, you're able to see your land. Or if you have a hunting lease on something, you're able to see that landowner. You can actually see the properties that he owns because his name is right there. So you know exactly where you can go hunt. Or how I used it, you know, just last weekend is there was a piece of land that I wanted to go hunt for whitetail hunting here coming up in a couple of weeks. And, uh, I didn't know them from Adam, but I was able to at least get their name. So then when I went to have a conversation, I could say, you know, hello, Mr. Johnson, instead of, you know, hello, I don't know you, but I'd like to hunt your land. So that is the one thing that's great is being able to, you know, being able to have those land ownership names, especially if you're looking for a new place to hunt, it gives you a starting point, right. you know, on how to reach out, whether you need to find their, address their phone number etc gotcha so the the in a nutshell the private lands are owned by individuals or or maybe trusts or states or something like that whereas the uh, the public lands are owned by government entities that we would consider part of our freedom i guess yeah right yeah okay. exactly so this is an interesting topic because in certain states more or less New England, you have these land use laws that go back to the colonial days, even where I live in New Hampshire, where unless it's posted, you have access to use it, almost like public land, although it's privately owned. So in those scenarios, in in your app, it's not telling me what's posted and what's not, right? There's no database for what's posted and what's not. But you can tell that if it is posted in these colonial areas where, where the land use laws are more or less uh, more free than some as you get further west or further south, that it will give you a delineation of property lines and the name of the person or entity that owns it. And that, that th these databases are changing constantly because property is bought and sold so that you can more or less continue to figure out, okay, who owns this piece of property? Yep. Yep. Exactly. And then be able, you know, our app, our goal is, is to visualize so you can actually see where you're at in, you know, according to those boundaries. Okay. And so you can, you know, you always know exactly whose land it's on, whether it's yours or your neighbors, or it's a government entity, you know, such as state forest or whatever. Okay. Now, I have noticed in some scenarios that and if it's owned um, in LLC, which is a type of ownership or in trust, that it doesn't always give me a person to to point to. Like it's the landowner that I thought it was, it, the name isn't there, but it, it, yep. it gives me some other, it usually says town of. Um, yep. 
but it's I, what I've discovered is if I go back to an additional layer of mapping because of my familiarity with that area, I, I know how to access even more clearly who actually owns it and I can delineate from that. So some, in some scenarios, like the database isn't necessarily pulling from certain areas, but I know now that it's a, it's a trust of some sort and then I yep. have to go find out who owns, who's involved in the trust. Yep, that's correct. Okay. And so that's, you know, we're getting the tax side, we're getting the tax information from the county. And so that's why you see a lot of times like an LLC, for example. Okay. All right. So there, there's some things that you still need to go and investigate further to actually get a name. But in many cases, that name's right there. Like I can see Mr. Jones owns that piece of property. I can go talk to Mr. Jones. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. There was one other aspect that I wanted to dive into here is that, and this is relative to, this is just from a personal experience. And I wanted to kind of illustrate this along certain river areas. There are, I've seen a, a, a overlay, a map overlay that's telling me that it's public land, that it's owned by the U S army service, which is part of the floodwaters. Yep. But from what I thought it was, it's still owned by a certain individual, but that it's given me uh, a, a direction to say, Hey, no, this is actually floodwater area or flood zone area that belongs to the United States government. Can you extrapolate on that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it, it's, it varies so much state to state, especially with like the access from there, but really on that is just, we're getting this from the state level. And so if it is like for that one example, for example, is, a lot of times fences or boundaries don't necessarily fall exactly where they're at, whether it's, you know, it's in a floodplain or it goes down a, a ridge or whatever it is. Fences aren't always the easiest to put in directly on the actual boundary line. And so with this, you know, with that, that's just something we're getting in. You know, a lot of times it's like a conservation area. You see a lot around a specific body of water or something like that. And so, whether you can access it, you really need to do your research on each individual state because it is unique from state to state. But um, that is just generally that's, you know, different types of government owned or, you know, government entity ran and owned land that is that we're getting from them and highlighting it as, you know, it's highlighted as a government owned, which a lot of people look at the color and they just automatically think public land and I guess in a very black and white sense it is, but you still need to make sure to do your research, whether you can access it, hunt it, um, okay. et cetera. Where would you start to like, I've seen some scenarios uh, looking at this, like this guy thinks this is his land and it's not, you know, where the might've posted some areas or, uh, I've, I've learned some situations where certain hunters posted land that they didn't even own. It's kind of a, it's an eye opening experience. And once you get out in the field with this, this device, um, and I've also opened up my eyes to some areas that I apparently might be public access and certain people don't realize it because of certain laws. And, and obviously you, you, as you said, you have to go and investigate this a little further. Um, but have there been some aha moments that you've heard of where, you know, you're, you're going off of assumptions from, boundary lines that everybody thought was the boundary lines for years and years. And it turns out, guess what? It's not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We've had folks who have talked to landowners and they've actually had our app out and they've looked at it and they've figured out that, you know, they went and found the corner marker and yes, it was off just a touch or, 
you know, there is an actual access point. The other thing too, is a lot throughout the country, we have a ton of game wardens who actually use our product. And so where to start, you know, I've done what I do is first I figure out like what type of land it is. So if it's a wildlife refuge or BLM or state owned, I try to get in contact with them. But even before that, I usually try to contact my local game and fish officer, you know, and I'll call them and, you know, kind of explain what I'm trying to get. And then they can get me in with one of the game wardens from that region who generally has a pretty good idea of the lay of the land and they can at least point me in the right direction. And I've actually had some good success, especially with river access, um, contacting just our local game warden. He's been able to get me in touch with the people I've needed, just trying to figure out how I can access certain places. Or in some ways he's told me that, you know, I can't access that. There is no access to that piece. Okay. All right. So as we go through this, let's start talking about some of the bells and whistles that, that this system can do. And I'm going to pull up my app right now so I can kind of go through some of this stuff. So bear with me, change over to the screen here. So the first thing I noticed when, when it opens up is it knows my location kind of like it does on a Google maps. Yep. And there's a bunch of things that you can do from there. Um, Let's talk about map layers first and foremost. There are yeah, yeah. map layers. Obviously, it's, it's public land versus private land, but then it gets into like it looks like wildlife management units, uh, which I guess are deli- are designated by the state themselves. So that may yep. change from state to state, I would imagine. But yep. for example, in New Hampshire, where I am, it's giving me a whole layer of New Hampshire wildlife management units. Then I've also got. New Hampshire possible access. What does that mean? So that New Hampshire possible access is all, what that is, is it's pretty much we've mapped out over a million acres that's, or actually way more than that. But what it is, is it's like timber companies. So it's still privately owned, but it's, it's been known to be those entities to allow public access. And so like warehouse is a big one there or Plum Creek or, different entities like that where it's generally like a private timber company or something along the lines of that. And it, you know, it, it is possible that they they're open for public access. Okay. Going down through, I've got the New Hampshire uh, map stuff, but then I switch over to hunt. Like there's another layer called hunt. These are other items where it's given me uh, roadless areas. I'm not sure what that means, but let's talk about that for a little bit. Timber, yeah, tim- yeah. Timber cuts and WTF wild turkey records. Let's talk about those. Yeah. So our, you know, so the ones you were looking at with the New Hampshire, that's your premium membership. That's your land ownership and the state specific stuff. The hunt is our nationwide. So the roadless layer is actually a pretty cool layer. And what this does is it's just a layer that's meant to be used by itself. It's a heat map, but what it does is everything, when you turn it on, it turns your screen dark and Wherever it's white, that is the furthest place from a road. And so when you turn that on, you will really see that most of it, most of the country will be blacked out because there's roads, you know, obviously covering most of the country. But then if you look up and select areas like over in Idaho in the Frank Church Wilderness or down in Wyoming by Yellowstone National Park, and it looks like there's some up in New York. And so wherever it's white, that is going to be the furthest place from a road. And then as it gets that down to that purple, that's going to be a little bit closer to roads. And then black is where roads are. And so really what this is, is a great starting point for pe- those folks who want to get away from, you know, a lot of people associate roads with people, you know, that's more hunters. It's easier right. to access. So 
if you're looking to get away from that, that was the idea with this layer is here's how you can get furthest away from roads. Oh yeah. I, now I'm seeing it. So it's like there are, it's definitely black in a lot of areas, but if you, if you kind of look in, there's some purple whiting areas in certain spots that I didn't even yep. realize existed. Yep, exactly. Okay. And so I'm looking up, you know, in New Hampshire, it looks like there's a pretty good spot. And even in New York, there's some stuff. So it looks like south of, you know, Johnsbury, New Hampshire, there's some in the White Mountains that has a pretty decent amount of area that's away from roads. Okay. What are some of the, the dotted white lines? What is what is all that? Is that is that like a, a trail of some sort? Yep. So the dotted white lines will be your roads and trails. And so we've actually baked those in. We work on those in-house. And so what this will be is we're taking this data and this changes frequently, but looking through, these are just all your trail information. And while we're talking about trails, if you actually go down to our trails and rec on top of just the actual trails, we have trail mileage, which will put dots. And so in between each dot, we'll give you the distance. And usually those dots will go to an intersection. And so it's just a quick way for you to see like trailhead starts here and then up, you know, it makes a turn. And then I do one more and you add them together and you know that you have five miles on the trail. The other thing too, is we have a trail slope, which is just a quick heat map that just tells you the difficulty of the trail. So green's going to be the easiest, then yellow, and then red's going to be the most difficult, you know, the steepest. And so it's just a great way when you're out hiking, you know, I'm looking at the Appalachian trail right now and pretty green, but there are some places where you're really climbing some, you know, gain and some elevation. And it shows you with the red that that's going to be your difficult stretch. Gotcha. Okay. Let's take a little coffee break. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Zach Sandow from Onyx Hunt. I still can't believe that's all you're taking. I got everything I need all in one bag. Rackology Deer Supplement and Attractant developed through years of intense scientific research comes a product that puts it all in one bag. Superior Attractant, scientifically formulated vitamins and minerals, and all at a much better price. To get yours today, please check out Rackology.org for a list of dealers. Rackology, how can you afford not to use it? Everything deer need, all in one bag. Hunter-friendly coffee retailers are great, but ever wonder where they buy it from? Now there's a company that imports directly from farmers, zero middlemen, roasts it, and ships it right to your door. From the farmer's fields to your morning cup, Hunter's Blend Coffee has been in the hands of hunters. Through their giving, your coffee supports the RMEF, Whitetails Unlimited, and Women's Hunting Associations, and many others. Now you can defend hunting one cup at a time. Not bad for a cup of coffee. And did I mention, it is so good. And now back to our conversation with Zach Sandow from Onyx Hunt. Just to recap, I'm I'm looking at my iPhone. It's an iPhone 6S. It's kind of an older phone based off of today's standards. And I've downloaded the app. I put it on my phone. I've created an account with Onyx, and I bought the the year package. And that gave me access. What is that called? The premium premium membership. Premium yep. membership. And I've, so that gives me all the states and I, I don't hunt all the states, but I hunt. That one gives you, that one gives you one state. Premium gives you one and then elite gives you all 50. Okay. I'm sorry. I've got the elite package right now. Gotcha. Cause I do hunt yep. multiple states. A lot of the new England states, Maryland, Ohio. Um, on occasion I'll get down to North Carolina and that's about it. Maybe Pennsylvania, but, but still that's more than one state. So I need multiple maps. Yeah. And as I'm looking at this, if I click on this 
the the layer or the the subject matter of New Hampshire, for example, it gives me the New Hampshire public lands versus New Hampshire private lands. And these are all layers. And then I've also got New Hampshire wildlife management units and New Hampshire possible access, which we talked about. Then I can click down to hunt and hunt gives me roadless areas where you said that kind of does a heat map where those areas that are less easy to access, they're more remote, further away from roads, those will start lighting up like little white ghost-like areas where it's more remote, it sounds like. Yep. Along with that, you can get NWTF wild turkey records. You can get timber cuts, the Rocky Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, historic wildfires, current wildfires, timber cuts, and wilderness. What's the wilderness all about? So the wilderness is just, you know, these wilderness areas are, Generally, they have their own designation, which has um, regulations and restrictions in them. And so it's just highlighting those different areas that you, you know, you most of the time, this isn't always, you can't have, you know, vehicles or bicycles and they have different camping restrictions. So it's just, you know, highlighting that area just so you know that there are different regulations in that area. Okay. So then uh, finally, I can open up this one other bar that says trails and, and rec. And it brings me to recreation sites, trails, which we talked about, trail mileages, trail slopes. What's the recreation sites? The recreation sites are going to be like your campsites, your boat launches, um, you know, all those different just sites there for like even stuff like we have breweries in there. Really? So okay. Just, yeah. Very, just Which you, is very important, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Just unique points of interest for folks. And, you know, generally they're using them for campsites and boat access and stuff like that. But I mean there's over 300,000 of them. So anything for fishing access, campgrounds, trailheads, forest service, you know, stuff like that. So I can see how you know, this, is, this is definitely kind of developed by a hunter because of a hunting situation. But I can also see that this is going beyond that. This is going into the fishing realm. This is going into the out, outdoors person of any sort of hiker. Um, yeah. Outdoor enthu- enthusiast, maybe a photographer. If you're doing any kind of long range hiking or, um, trying to find a restaurant or a pub along your hike somewhere this is this is more encompassing than just a hunt is what i'm seeing yeah and i mean that's our goal is any person off the pavement if they're outside we want to we want to you know have a tool that's relevant for them and have something that can help them and so really this is a gps unit that you can get for free you don't even have to pay for it you can mark your waypoints and use it without service but then we want to provide all this extra data and that's what you're paying for. Gotcha. No matter if you're fishing, you know, hiking, and then our main goal is hunting. Our main focus is hunting. So there are some aspects of this that are completely free to use. Then it's the other data points that are kind of specific to your activity that yep, exactly. you probably want to pay for. So what I was just discussing were my layers. Now I'm switching over to the layer library. It gets pretty intense and I don't think we have time to go through all of them, but I've got layers here that talk about precipitation. So this is your weather radar, right? Yep. I've got QDMA CWD distribution. The most recent being, as far as I can tell now, have been identified in Quebec, just north of yep. New Hampshire, which is frightening. Um, Eastman's MRS, what's that? So that's the Eastman's members research section. So that's a Western focus layer that it's the 11 big states. They have antelope, deer, and elk. And pretty much what it does is gives you a three-year average 
um, trophy score, but then also draw statistics for non-residents and then also their forecast for the year um, based on historic trends, but then also future, just all their research and information that they do. They kind of Guy Eastman puts together his forecast and projections for each state based on that species. Okay. I can also say, and yeah, that's a $9.99 per year purchase. Yep. That? Okay. That's an additional one. So we actually have three layers that you have to purchase outside of your membership. And so that's the Eastman's, the Boone and Crockett. So the Boone and Crockett actually has all their records for all, I believe it's 17 species dating back to, I think it's like 1892. They have all their records for every county, you know, all the trophy records, Boone and Crockett um, throughout the entire country. And so you can just select what type, what species you want and then check your country or your county out. And it'll have a heat map based on it and you click on it and it'll tell you how many entries there were, um, the type of species, et cetera. And then the last one is we have all the prairie dog towns in the Western United States. Well, most of the United States, we have all of them mapped out. So it gives you a heat map exactly where the prairie dog towns are in the United States. Gotcha. And then there's also, um, one called sections and one called forest visitor maps. What are those two? Yep. So the forest visitor maps, that's actually one that's going to disappear, but pretty much what that is is like an old forest service map. So it's just a PDF and it's for those folks that like the old traditional feel. Um, the sections is just, so it puts it on and actually puts the section lines for you. Um, especially when you're doing, you know, this is like how the Bureau of Land Management, when they do their land surveying, it has the township range section division. So it's just, very beneficial for people who have like a large piece of property and they're trying to survey their land. It gives you that township and range that you need when you're doing that survey. Okay. All right. So that's kind of the old school, but you're saying that's going away. Uh, yes. The forest visitor maps, forest visitor maps. Okay. So then I can, I mean, and I can pull up any, any state that I want here. Uh, I pull it, I think I, but you can tell it which maps you want to import. Is that correct? Yep. So from your layers library, when you click on them, you just say add layers and that will bring them over to um, your my layers section. And that's the that's the actual layers or maps you're viewing at that time. Okay. So you're out in Montana. Let me just take a quick look at Montana. So if I look at Montana, Mon, uh, private land, public land, which I would ex- expect, um, Montana hunting districts, Montana possible access, uh, block management, restricted areas, uh, hunting districts, CWD management areas. I mean, th- there's quite a bit here. What um, do this? And it looks like each state has different maps, if I'm not mistaken. Like there's each state almost is unique with, with certain mapping yep. structures. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. So each state, you know, they'll all the states will have the basic three, which is your hunting units or hunting districts, your private land ownership data, and then your public land ownership data. And then on top of that, those ones you were mentioning, the possible access, the block management, which is a privately owned, but it's open for public access for hunting specifically, they'll have these different sub layers that are, you know, unique to each state. And so that's why like each membership, you're purchasing that information that's updated yearly. Okay. All right. So this is that, that's fascinating that there's that much sub-layer stuff going on in each state that you should know as a hunter, the, the, the Montana block management. I didn't know about that until just now. So, yeah. So there's a lot to learn in here about the different states, not only 
public versus private, but there's other things that you should be aware of that you'll learn by getting into an Onyx map uh, subscription. So if you are planning your first hunt out West, boy, is this useful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we honestly recommend just trying it out and, you know, maybe look at your state, but then if you do have a, you know, you're planning a new hunting, a new area completely, we really feel like we can help you out and help not waste as much time having to drive there, check it out, you know, trial and error. Maybe that spot doesn't work. This at least allows you to find it and you can scout it from home, get a little idea of it and then go to the field and kind of validate whether it's a good spot to hunt or not. Gotcha. So now if I look at uh, the next screen over, it says off grid. What does that mean? So the off grid is actually probably the most, um, misunderstood thing about our app and so what this does is it actually off grid allows you to use the app without cell service and so what you do is when you go to off grid you there's that save new map section and so you can actually save maps at three different levels and so it's it's five miles five by five ten by ten and then for android it's 100 by 100 ios it's 150 by 150 and so what that is is a big square and so you turn on all the layers that you think you're going to use, your private lands, your public lands, maybe your timber cuts, historic burns, hunting districts, whatever you'd like. And then you click save when you're on service or Wi-Fi, and it actually saves that picture to your phone. And then once it saves, the next button right next to it, go offline, you tap that and you can be wherever you are in the country that doesn't have service and it will work and it will show your current location. You can still mark waypoints. You can still use the tracker function. You can draw lines, do anything. Um, Even if you're in service, you could put your phone on airplane mode to save your battery, and you can still use it without service. Gotcha. All right. So, and this this will happen to a lot of us when we get out in some of those remote areas. We're not going to have cell coverage. We're not going to be able to download while we're there. You're going to have to download before you get there. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So, Definitely you need, you know, the key is, is to plan before and make sure you save it. But then, you know, the thing that drains cell phone batteries the most is when you're in and out of service. You know, if you're in thick vegetation or cover and it's going in and out and it's searching, that's when you're really draining it. So being able just to flip your phone on airplane and keep doing what you're doing will save your phone battery tremendously. Okay. Then we get into uh, my content and I see that it's, it's, bringing down and this is not the map layer stuff this is uh lines areas locations tracks um these are all the tracks that i've put in is that correct so these are like the things that i've manually plugged in here along the way yep that's correct and actually i'll talk about each of the tools so we actually have the line tool that you were talking about so my content holds all the stuff that you're putting into it and so the four tools we have is being able to mark waypoints so you can mark a waypoint Wherever you're at, you can name it, add notes to it, change the look of it. So it has, I think we have 37 different icons, whether it's, you know, a buck, an elk, a rub, wallow, tree stand, etc. Um, then we have area shape where you can actually measure out the acreage of a specific area. Line distance, so you can mark, hit a line on two points and see the distance it is. And then the last one is tracks, which is your breadcrumb. So you turn that on and it'll leave a little breadcrumb trail of everywhere you've walked. And then, so what that's great is if you have, you know, like you want to walk into a tree stand from a specific way, so you don't bugger up the rest of the forest, you can walk that in the first time, mark your track, and then you can actually show that to your buddy. And then he can walk that same line to get exactly where he needs. 
Or if you walked in one way and you know that's the best way to get back out to your car, you just follow that track. And so all that information will save to your account, and then you can pull it up on any of your devices. Okay, gotcha. And then so the, the tracker is really just a push the button, starts tracking how I get in there, and then all that gets saved under my content, which I can, yep. I can look up later on any device that I'm tapped into Onyx on. And it looks like it sorts, yeah. it, sorts it by date, too, so it, it captures the date that you put that, that stuff in there. Yep, exactly. And then you can go back and change the name if you'd like after the fact. Okay. So aside from that, the map itself, it looks like it, it will go from satellite to hybrid to topo pretty easily. Yep. Just one tap of your finger, you can flip be- between three base maps. And so satellite, you actually have, we have now, we just got Google imagery. So you have satellite imagery, that'll be Google. And then the high, or the topo is our own proprietary one. And so that will be like a basic topo map where you can see the lines. The further you zoom in, the more detail you get. And then the hybrids, obviously, com- combining the two. So you have the aerial imagery with the topo lines. Okay. So as I'm looking at the map, there's one other button. It's going to bring me home. So it's going to tell me where I am located, which I assume you, well, not assume, you'd have to tell the, your phone to, that, to allow it to use your location services for Onyx in order to yes. find your, your spot. Yep. So it's taking you to your current location where you're at. And so like I'm sitting at the Onyx headquarters right now. So if I tap that, it's going to bring me back to my blue dot. But if I'm up in the mountains, 10 miles from here and I tap that, it's going to take me there. Okay. But you definitely want to turn on your location services because, and you know, just so I know people like don't, that's one of those things that, you know, they think apps are tracking them and we're getting all this information why you want to turn that on is so you can see your blue dots. So you can actually see your location on the map, but then also so you can mark waypoints and you can do all that stuff. If not, you're telling your phone that you don't want to use the GPS unit. In right. There. Right. Now, if I push that same marker again, it brings up almost like this flashlight and it turns the map and yep. it, that'll tell me the direction that I'm heading currently or pointing. Yep. Right. That, yep. That's correct. And then it'll show you the compass as well. Um, it'll point you. So it, you know, most maps it's pointing due North, but then if you're facing the other way, it will show you the direction you're heading and then it'll show you which way is North. Right. Now I did, this is another, uh, hint as there's a compass calibration somewhere deep in your general settings that if you don't have that turned on, it will not turn the map to fit your, your way. So in other words, it won't, you, it won't point you in the direction that, that, you want it to because there's a setting that has to be turned on and off deep in your general settings on an iOS. I don't know what it is for Android, but yep. if your map's not so, turning, then you've got that turned off. Yep. And so if you go to map settings, if you just tap the little hamburger menu up in the top left and then map settings, you can actually experiment with everything as far as changing the units you want to do, the coordinates. You can have an actual crosshair for the middle and then being able to actually pinch and rotate the map as well. So you can kind of customize it to your liking. Do you find people are using still decimal over UTM for, for the coordinates? Uh, no, no, not really. Okay. Um, usually they're keeping what's on there already, which is generally decimal, but they, I don't know. It's, we don't get a lot of people switching around when they're looking at the coordinates just because with the app, you're not sending them as much or important to search. So a lot of folks, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say a lot of folks, but 
most people are just keeping it where it's at and they're good to go with decimal. Okay. It also tells me elevation of where I'm at, which is I assume above sea level. It will tell me the, the, like the, um, the map distance, like how far two miles is, for example, based off of how I'm zoomed in. So if I, then if I pinch it and I zoom in, now I can get 1,000 feet, 500 feet. Yep, exactly. So it'll give you a good scale of distance up there. And it looks you know, like, so you can, yeah, a good scale of distance based off of the, the, the two points on the, the line. The, the red line will tell me how far 50 feet is. And as I zoom out, it gets to, you know, this is 1,000 feet and so on, two miles based off of the map size. But what I've also noticed is that if you zoom in far enough and it looks like it, it, it'll zoom in to the point where a house, a typical 2,200 square foot house would uh, fill up about, I don't know, one eighth of the map size. That's, that, that's how far it'll zoom in to the point where you can see a swimming pool pretty easily. It's not, it's not super clear, but it's clear enough. And then as you zoom out to like which I guess is the hundred foot level where I don't know, I guess that's about half an inch or maybe three quarters of an inch equals, um, the width of a house. Yeah. Now, as you zoom into a certain layer, it'll start telling you, it'll start labeling the map and it'll show you the, the delineation of the boundary lines for each property and the name, but you can also tap on the name or tap on the, the property and it'll bring up its coordinates and all the some of the other features, um, like what uh, bear unit name in, what turkey unit name in, name you're in, or what unit uh, for wildlife management, and who owns it. Yep, that's correct. And so even like in your, you know, we were talking about NWTF wild turkey layer. If you have that on, it will actually you tap on it. It'll tell you the turkey records for that county. So what we call that we call it internally feature query but really what it is you tap on the map and it pulls up the information so if you tap on private landowner it's going to tell you you know their address their name etc if you tap on hunting district it's going to tell you which district it is um or have you know sometimes it'll have a link depending on the state with some more information gotcha because i'm clicking on my property it shows um says it's new hampshire private lands it gives me the uh, me as the primary it gives my wife as a secondary owner so uh, the tax address, the tax city, the acreage, New Hampshire wildlife management area, and so on. And the GPS coordinates that I actually pushed on. Now, how accurate is the mapping as far as is that boundary line the actual boundary line that you're finding or does it vary? Um, so, you know, we, we want to have the most accurate land ownership data available, but, we, you know, we're not going to be naive and say that there's definitely not stuff that's incorrect. Now, the one thing that's great is you actually can report these errors. You know, we have people who send stuff in to our customer service. They'll send a screenshot and explain it and say, Hey, this boundary is off or this name's not updated. And we have, you know, with our 20 GIS employees, we also have two customer service representatives whose whole job is working on these map errors. And so what's great is we have, hundreds of thousands of people who are using the app who are boots on the ground and they're testing it. So if something's incorrect, send it into us and we'll get it fixed. But generally we will be as up to date as the County is. So a lot of times we will try to uh, figure out if, you know, if there's an error first, we go to the County to see if their data is incorrect or it's outdated. And if it is, then, you know, we can give them a nudge or figure out what we need to do to get it updated. 
But if it's on us, then we will fix it automatically and get that in there. Okay. What I'm finding is that the, your information is as accurate as the information that from where you're pulling it from. And because yep. I've, I've looked at some different property maps on Iowa where the boundary lines to me were off. And I went to uh, the, like a, an appraiser or an assessor's source for a particular town and their information is identical to yours, but it still seems off based off of real life practices. So, yep. so I'm not sure if the entire town is off or if, if it's just that it's correct and everybody who thought they own property in certain areas don't. <laughs> it's kind of crazy what this could, yeah. could potentially be. Um, I haven't, I haven't, uh, di- I haven't dove into that yet, but it's, it is fascinating when you start looking at property lines as to what you thought was the known line and what it actually might be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, we've heard all of the above. We've heard a little bit of everything where it's, you know, a specific county isn't as up to date as the others. We've also heard where there's been folks who, you know, had no idea they there was a section of public land that they always just assumed was theirs or, you know, they assumed their fence stretched that far and here it, their fence was over, you know, 10, 12 feet, whatever. And then there's obviously the stuff where it's right on. So we've heard every, we've heard a whole bunch of them and it honestly just varies from region to county to city to state. Gotcha. So you've talked a little bit about some of those tips and tricks where you, you need to turn your, your, your location services on for the map in order for it to work. And then you should download that map if you know you're going into an area of lack of coverage and then go into airplane mode but still be able to use your GPS um, using that map. What Are there other little things like that that can make this a more useful tool to, to hunters that are going into the field that you're aware of? Yeah, I mean... You know, a big thing with smartphones is saving your battery. And so definitely putting on airplane mode, definitely saving your maps, um, turning down the brightness on your screen is actually one that saves it tremendously, especially if you're hunting for a couple of days and you're worried about it not being able to plug into a charger. That's a huge one. And then another one that I actually use frequently is when you mark a waypoint, you actually can tap on that waypoint and there's a share button there. And when you click share, you can take that, it'll give you a little pop-up, a message, and you can email it, text it, you know, you can send it to a, you know, obviously close hunting buddy, family, loved one, etc. And so I've used that, you know, when I'm sending it to my parents, if I'm going somewhere, just so they know the general area I'm going to be. Yeah. Or the other time I used it is I just set a tree stand that me and my buddy are going to, you know, it's an area we both hunt. And so I set a new stand. I marked a waypoint on it and I shared it to him. And now I don't have to go back into the field to show him. He can just navigate his way to it. Gotcha. Okay. So anything else that you can think of that are the, the little tips and tricks that, that you've experienced because you use this every day you work for the company. What are, are there anything else that you can think of? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it just, it's crazy how many different ways people have found to use it. You know, I, we were, I heard a gentleman was telling me he used it when he was shed hunting his property. Um, this spring, he put the tracks on and he started walking the grid pattern. And what he was able to do is he was able to actually see where he hadn't covered on his property. And that was one that I had never thought about. And, you know, it was great. He had, you know, he's just a small, um, not a ton of acreage for his property, but he's like, you think you walk the entire thing until you put those tracks on and you see that breadcrumb on there. 
you're actually able to see that, hey, I miss this entire tree row over here. I'm, you know, this whole corner needs some attention. Um, the other one I've heard too that's been great, especially in the whitetail woods, is if you're hunting a new area and you have all these different trails, turning on the tracker and walking those trails, you know, in the summer before the season and being able to see where that confluence is, where all those trails are meeting, you know, and helping you find out where the best place is to put your stands on. That was a pretty cool one too, that I got a tip from a customer as well Mm. that uh, I tested out this year and I actually set my stand according to that. That's cool. That's a good one. Very nice. So have you seen any variations between how hunters are using these things in the West? Like Jana Waller, for example, Jana might be using it in the big country where you are to the Midwest, to the East. Are people using them differently in different spots? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that really is focused on the type, you know, they're using it based on where they're at, but also the type of animal they're hunting. And so in the West, like Jana, for example, She's really using it for, she's saving her maps, using it for a GPS so she can get back to her car. You know, she's exploring these deep into these mountains. So being able to get back to her camp spot or car, but then also she uses it for public land. You know, she's a big public land hunter. And so she's looking for these different places of public land. Some she might've never hunted before, but being able to see that that is BLM and I'm allowed to hunt it and just going and hunting. But then, you know, whitetail hunters, I hear a lot of people, you know, a lot of feedback where they're marking, you know, their trail cams or marking their tree stands, but then also measuring out using the area tool, measuring out their plots so they know how much seed they need when they're planting food plots. Um, Being able to use the private landowner name so they can, you know, go ask for permission or if they have a lease on a certain landowners, being able to see those individual properties. Um, You know, I really it, it varies. There's so many different ones. And that's what's great is really, you know, we love feedback, both positive and negative. And so we get feedback from our, to our customer service, just our help at onyxmaps.com, people suggesting new features or what we can improve. And that's great because, you know, the people hunting, using it, the hundreds of thousands of people, they're the ones that, you know, they're our boots on the ground. So we want their feedback. We want to make the product the best we can for them. So any of these little tidbits that they give us, we just take those in and we try to figure out how we can make them better. Gotcha. Very nice. Just looking at your, your website, it's Onyx covers 985 million acres of public land, 9,568 unique hunting units, 421 map overlays and counting. So that's just the overlays themselves, 421, and then 2,000 game wardens approved. What does that mean? Does it mean you've got game wardens using this to to assess situations? Yep, yep, absolutely. We actually have partnerships with some state units, and then we have or some specific states, and then we have other states where it's not an official partnership, but they do use it. And they, you know, they can officially endorse us, but they use our product. Yeah. And so, like Wyoming, Montana, for example, they, a lot of the game wardens use either our chip or our app, and so it, you know, it's one of those things that it helps them out and in the field. And then a lot of the times, you know, if there's something going on, that will be one of the tools they use to help assess the situation. I can see how, as a hunter, you might want to know how, A, how close I am to a property line, um, or B, how close I am to a house before I decide that this is where I'm going to camp out for the, for the evening and, because you have some distance regulations of how far you have to be from a home um, before you can uh, pull a trigger on any device. 
Um, and I'm, I'm sure, and if you've ever watched Northwoods Law or any of those other game warden shows, you'll see that, well, this person shot here. This is where the deer was killed, and this is where the, the house is. This is only 293 feet, not 300. And the map and my map, my tracking tool is telling me so that you shouldn't have shot there. You know, these are, these are mistakes that can be um, figured out through this app pretty quickly before the problem happens and definitely after. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Fascinating, fascinating tool. Um, just awesome. So Zach, you got to tell us a deer hunting story and, and tell us, make it relative to Onyx. Maybe, maybe you use the device that made you more successful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, honestly, my deer hunting wise, I actually just got done elk and antelope hunting and was fortunate enough to have a successful trip there, but we'll, we'll go deer hunting. And so I'm going to go back to last year. Um, me and another employee who actually works another employee at on X, I drew a, uh, river bottom, um, whitetail tag. So is it, it gave me the opportunity to shoot two bucks now. So generally in Montana, you get your general either sex tag. That's good for meal deer whitetail. But then I put in for a permit, which allows me to shoot another whitetail buck in the river bottom with archery tackle. Nice. And so I hadn't hunted this area, um, ever before. And so I was able to find it. And so it was actually a piece of public ground that it, you know, it was in the actual area that I needed to be for this river bottom tag. And so our idea was in November, it had just snowed. And so I'm a big fan of actually rattling deer in from the ground. I think it's an awesome experience when they come in and I use one of the decoys and have them set up kind of in November. And it's just great being on the same level as them and have them come in. It's something unique that I've really enjoyed doing. And so what we did is we found this place, you know, I found it because of the map, but then when we, when we got there, we kind of made our game plan and we had these waypoints on where we were going to set up and do our rattle sequences based off the aerial imagery. We were able to see that there's these different tree rows coming in or where I ended up shooting my buck. There was a hay field over there on private land that we knew there was a bunch of deer that, you know, congregate out there, especially in the mornings and evenings. And so we were going to hunt those boundaries and try to pull them for where we thought they were, where they're bedding coming off that private. And so we actually set up and within 15 minutes of our very first spot, which was one of our better ones, we set up the decoy and we started rattling. And I actually had, you know, a nice five point buck come in and was able to get an arrow in him at like 24 yards. And he went, you know, 60 yards and piled up and it was great. But what, you know, was kind of, unfortunate is it was the first 15 minutes of the hunt so we didn't you know we we're done hunting at that point so right. we we're super excited but it was one of those things where you know the plan just very as it very rarely does it it worked it came together and it worked you know he that deer followed the script and ended up on our first set coming in and was able to get a shot gotcha fascinating the series of events there all a lot based off, off of the onyx hunt app that's cool very nice um, I've got 10 rapid fire questions for you, Zach, if I could. Absolutely. These. All right. What's your number one hunting tip of all time? Number one hunting. Oh, that's a tough one. Hmm. I think oh, number one hunting will go since it's quick. I think prepare your stuff the night before you go out hunting. So you're never the person everyone's waiting on. I like that. That's a good one. I haven't heard that, but that's a very, that, that, that'd be top in my book. Um, we all have these things that we kind of feel naked if we don't have it with us. What's that one thing for you while you're hunting? While I'm hunting, honestly, besides saying the hunt app, I would say a pair of binos. Mm-hmm. 
Gotcha. Very good. What's your biggest pet peeve in life? Biggest pet peeve in life. Um, that's tough. I would say not enjoying the good stuff. Gotcha. Very good. Taking life too serious. How old are you today? How old am I today? Yeah. I'm 26. 26. All right. Knowing what you know today about life at age 26, what would you tell the 16-year-old Zach Sandow? Not to overthink everything and uh, make sure to uh, enjoy the good stuff. Very nice. You meet a stranger at a hunting convention somewhere in the world, and they ask you what you do for a living. What would you say? I I get the benefit of talking hunting every day of the you know every day of the week for a great company out of Missoula, Montana. That's pretty darn cool. I like that. Well, what'd you have for breakfast this morning? Breakfast this morning, I actually had a uh, deer sausage breakfast burrito. Mm, that sounds delicious. Very nice. You get your own billboard on the side of a highway. It's a blank canvas. You can put anything you want on it. What would it say? Hunt more. Nice. If I say the word successful to you, who's the first person that pops into your head and why? Ooh, successful. Um, that's tough. That one, I would say, honestly, when I, when I thought of that, I would say, yeah, that one's tough. I, I was, I went a bunch of different places there, but yeah. I would say Eric Siegfried, because we actually just got done working on a piece about how he founded this company. Very and, cool. You know, been around 10 years. It was, it's been great. And he's a very successful man from a great idea. So Onyx is about 10 years old? Yep. 10 years old. We started in 2009. Very neat. I've watched your progression. I think it's fascinating how far it's come and how much it's now in the lives of hunters daily. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show because it's really become a main, a mainstay of how much people are using these hunting apps and mapping apps to get to where they want to go and learn about that. What's a um, typical day in your life look like? Typical day, typical work day is we're getting into the office about seven 30 and meeting with the team and discussing on, you know, how we can continue to improve the hunt app and how we can answer anyone's questions. Very cool. And then usually trying to get out in the outdoors at some point. Nice. All right. Last question. What's a typical deer hunting day in your life look like? Tip, typical deer hunting day. I get up about an hour earlier than I need to make sure I have my stuff. Always like to get a good breakfast and then try to get out Try to get out pretty early, earlier than I need to. If I need, you know, I never want to be late. I almost feel like I waste the day. So I would much rather sit there for an hour and watch sunrise and be ready. And then mm-hmm. it's just trying to be out in the woods as long as I can. Even if it's rough, try to stay out all day because, you know, you, you don't have the opportunity if you're back home at camp. So trying to stay out and be in the woods as much as possible. Gotcha. Very nice. All right. Those are the 10 rapid fire questions, Zach. If we have created more questions than answers, or if we've left something unturned here, where can people reach out to you and or Onyx for more information? Yeah, absolutely. Reach out. Um, you know, people, folks can reach out on our social media. We actually have one guy who answers all the questions on there. So if you have a question about the app, reach out there. And then if you, uh, also, if you have, you know, parcel errors or app errors or suggestions, emailing us at help at onyxmaps.com. We have uh, 10 folks who are sitting there answering those emails or give us a call at 406-540-1600. Beautiful. Zach, I got to say, this has been an absolute blast. I've had a great time going through the app and learning all the little things it does. And I learned some things that it does that I didn't know. And I appreciate that. And hopefully we've kind of set the stage for those folks 
that are thinking about using the app that never have. It's a free trial. And then the, you, and not only is it free trial, but you can use a lot of the features that are for free forever, right? That's not, it's not just that you have to pay for it, but there's some data points that I, my guess is as a hunter, you'll want if, if you actually engage in this thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the biggest thing is just, I would recommend just giving it a try. I, you know, I'm pretty confident we have a tool that will make your days more successful in the field. It'll help, you know, it'll benefit you while out hunting. Very nice. Zach's been an honor, a pleasure. And thanks for going through every little detail that we could think of about the Onyx map. And, um, I, I see a bright future for Onyx. I think there's a lot more to come. Absolutely. Thank you, Jay, for having me. It was a joy. I really appreciate Zach coming onto the show and walking us through all the ins and outs of the Onyx Hunt Map app because from a personal experience, I have single-handedly found more property this year that I didn't think was huntable and I owe it 100% to the Onyx Hunt Map. It's, for whatever reason, I don't know why I, I, I semi-dismissed it. I, I just assumed it was more like a Google Maps thing, and it certainly has those features. But knowing where the landowner is, or knowing who the landowner is, where the property lines are, and then ground scouting it out, and then scouting it out on foot, makes access to some of these properties beyond your wildest dreams. Dusty, Dusty Phillips also had a similar experience in Ohio where he realized that he knew people that knew people that owned certain parcels of land and allowed him to find new farmland hunt that he didn't have access to before. And that was just this year. So hunt Onyx is not a sponsor, but I would encourage you to go try that, that free trial and then play with it and look at, I mean, really take some hard looks at the, use your computer to look at it online, use your phone to take with you when you go out to these spots to, to ground scout and you will realize things that you never thought possible. And so it's, it's amazing. And again, thanks to Zach. Dusty, do we have a Chubby Tines tip of the week this week? Yeah, we do, Jay. The Chubby Tines tip of the week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentuckuk Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morsessportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morse's Sporting Goods. Uh, it, it comes down to... Uh your landowners, you know, they're they're taking care of you and by allowing you to hunt their land, uh, you know, take care of them. The holidays are upon us, and if it's just a, a simple little fruit basket, goes a long way with your landowners. There you go. That's a great, great idea. Very, very nice. It's that time of year to give back to some of the landowners that generously let you hunt on them, and uh, it's it's kind of hard for us to do that in New Hampshire because there's so much vast land and the, the land use rights are a little different, but they're still posted pieces of property that we get permission to hunt on that's when you wanted to go say thank you so how i there's nothing that you could do as a hunter i don't think if you hunt on private land and you need to that helps that relationship continue yeah for sure dusty where can we find you when you're not hanging out here in the studios with me uh, shoot me an email dusty at bigbuckregistry.com you can look me up on instagram and twitter at chasing antler facebook.com forward slash chubby tines outdoors jay where can the people reach out to you or you're not on the mic 
Likewise, you can shoot me an email, j at bigbuckregistry.com, and you can visit us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We're also on Twitter, which is twitter.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We are also on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash bigbuckregistry, and YouTube, which is youtube.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. On YouTube, you can listen to all of our podcasts in their entirety. As far as videos are concerned, it's a boring video, but the audio content is there, so you can actually listen to our podcast. You can also listen to all of our live shows that we've done on Thursday nights when we do do them, and we've gone back and interviewed, re-interviewed a lot of our previous guests we had on the show just to put a face to a voice, let's put it that way. You can always listen to our show on other places as well, not just YouTube. We're found on Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and as an Amazon Alexa skill, go to Alexa and say, Alexa, enable Big Buck Registry. And if you would like to submit a buck to our page for consideration and be featured on our page in front of 250,000 diehard deer hunting fans, all you have to do is go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash my buck and all of the instructions will be right there. I think that's pretty much everywhere we're at. I think that's a wrap, Dusty. That's a whole lot of big buck, Jay. Sure is. I'm Jay Scott. I'm Dusty Phillips. And this is the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 